All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for joining me on this final episode of 2021. The Bills are winners of their last two. They just defeated the New England Patriots on the road this past weekend and now have two games to go. And if they win both, they will be AFC East champions and at least have one home playoff game to begin the postseason this year. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining me here on this show. Um, we have a bunch to get into today, mostly because of how things have gotten shaken up a little bit. We've seen some depth of the roster get some chances, and maybe some other young guys maybe not look so good. So I wanted to take a, a brief step back as to how things could look as we're going forward into the final few weeks of the season and definitely into the playoffs. Um, we're also going to speak with Shiel Kapadia, who is the one of the uh, the preeminent NFL writers going. He uh, works for The Athletic. He does a fantastic job. Just posted a, um, a great article detailing uh, Josh Allen's day from this past weekend, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and a lot of... Uh, a wide scope look at the league as to who's trending in the right directions, what the numbers are saying, everything along those lines. He's very sharp guy. We've had him on the show before. It was before the Texans game, I believe. And uh, I'm really, uh, really happy to get him back on, on the show today to talk about, okay, so now we're a few months from the last time we spoke. So where are the bills now? And, and what do they look like from here on, uh, uh, from here on moving forward? So I wanted to start with a, a point in which I think a lot of people are kind of pondering this week. Um, it all has to do with a kind of a talking point that that uh, we had in the postgame show with myself and Matt Beauvais after the performance from Isaiah McKenzie that was, uh, that was as good as it was. The 11 catches for over 100 yards, chipped in a touchdown. Like that type of stuff doesn't uh, doesn't just happen, and and he's a guy that you know. I think I made my case pretty um, pretty well that he should get at least some more run with the offense. So now I wanted to take a step back into what this will kind of look like with the wide receiver group because the Bills have legitimate depth at receiver. I mean, they have one of the deepest rooms in the league. From that perspective, especially when some other teams are trotting out the likes of, I don't know, guys who are on the practice squad. I mean, the the Patriots are a good team, but they fall well short at wide receiver compared to what the Bills have. And I mean, it starts with Stefan Diggs, but then when you look at the depth outside of it, they really bring it from Emmanuel Sanders, Colt Beasley, Gabriel Davis, and Isaiah McKenzie. And the big question this week, because now that Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley have been removed from the reserve COVID-19 list, the Bills have all of their receivers for the first time since Gabriel Davis made his statement uh, against Tampa Bay and against Carolina, and since Isaiah McKenzie had his game against New England. So the big question is, what is it all going to look like? And I think it really boils down to two separate conversations, honestly. You have, on one hand, Gabriel Davis 
and Emmanuel Sanders kind of clumped together in one position. Stefan Diggs, his snaps are not getting touched, and nor should they. And then on the other side of it, you have Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley, who both play the slot receiver position. And that's where I think you need to delineate how the Bills are going to approach this one. We'll start with the boundary, and it might not end up uh, it might not end up showing us anything this weekend against the Falcons because Emmanuel Sanders did not practice on Thursday or Friday. He's questionable with a knee injury, and we'll have to see if they can get him ready enough for that game. But you know, going against an NFC opponent that is pretty bad. Um, and with a lot of health at wide receiver outside of him, you know, it, it would make a lot of sense just to rest the guy. So this is more of a when everything is right from a health perspective. So we're, we're not actually going to see, or I, at least I don't think we're going to see um, wh- whether or not the Bills will actually give Gabriel Davis some more time ahead of Emmanuel Sanders this week. I think we'll just wind up, end up, end up seeing Gabriel Davis getting the start and, um, my guess is that Emmanuel Sanders will be inactive just based on the way the practice week has kind of lined up. But when the two guys are healthy, the big question is, what will the Bills do? And we have seen time and time again that the Bills are usually pretty um, stagnant with their movement along their starting lineup at any other position besides the offensive line. Like we've we've seen them change offensive linemen tons of times throughout the throughout the years. But the other positions, really not as much. Maybe running back is the second closest to this, but you know, they they have usually stuck with their guys no matter what. And that's where the wide receiver combo comes up. And the one name we brought up on the postgame pod was John Brown uh, the last time because Brown is a great example of how they have stuck to their guns with some of these guys. Brown was great for them uh, the year before 2020, and he was one of the big reasons that Josh Allen took a jump in 2019. But in 2020, it was very plain to see that he had lost a bit of a step and he was nowhere near as effective as he used to be. And, And that was kind of an issue for them. To the point in which when they reinserted him into the lineup, he wasn't the difference maker that they were hoping he would be. But they stuck with him because of his history and what he has done for the for the franchise, what he's done for the team over the past two years. And I don't know if it was to their detriment. I think that might be a little bit dramatic. But I think it was definitely a contributing factor as to why their offense wasn't as productive as it should have been in the playoffs last year. So when you think about John Brown and that conversation, you then have to come back to Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis. Why? Because first they play the same position and now they're kind of set up with a similar decision. Emmanuel Sanders is 34 years old. He had a really good first five or six games of the season Lots of air yards, lots of targets, uh, lots of catches. Through some, he got some touchdowns in there. He popped for some really big games, but since then, it's he's just been nowhere to be found. Um, he's been dealing with a knee injury most recently, and 
it just has not been the same. It almost feels like since the weather turned a little bit, like since it, it shifted from the summer months to more like the fall, winter sort of weather, it kind of seems like his route running has, has taken a hit, um, just not separating as much. Josh Allen isn't looking for him as much any longer, and that's been an issue. And then when Gabriel Davis gets inserted into the lineup, who's, you know, in his 20s, his early 20s at, at that he came in at the first time he had a huge snap share. He was super productive and just had these immense spike games for, for this team and gave them an element to their offense that they had been missing for what it seemed like a couple of months. And the common denominator there is Sanders was on the field, Davis was not. And when Davis was on the field, good things were happening. And even the head coach, Sean McDermott, said Gabe was hot. And that they were they were sorry to lose him in the lineup this past week when he got put on the reserve COVID list uh, right before the Patriots game, like that that loss of Davis could have been a game flipper um, in, in that matchup because of how dynamic a receiver he was. So when you consider that, and then I think the other layer to this to that specific position is whether or not the um, whether or not the Bills feel comfortable with the replacement and the future of the replacement, which I think deserves some consideration here. Because you have Gabriel Davis, who is on the second year of his rookie deal. They clearly believe in him. They don't have anything at receiver past Stefan Diggs and him, and at least boundary-wise. So you would have to think that they are looking at him as their starter in 2022 and what they hope 2023 and beyond, if as long as he continues to play this way. So they do have that line of thinking behind them. And if they were to give him more time on the field and reduce some snaps from Manuel Sanders, then that is a great reason to do it because you feel like your, your young player has gotten to this point where he is ready to be a starter for you, ready for legitimate minutes, ready for the, the clutch moments of games. After him going through the, um, the the learning curve of being a young player in their system. It seems like he has graduated to a certain degree. So for all of those reasons, I think there is a far better chance that we see Gabriel Davis eke into Emmanuel Sanders' snaps than the other position, which I'll get to in a minute. If I had to guess with how the Bills play it, when Sanders and Davis are both available to them, my guess is that they would continue to have Emmanuel Sanders be the starter and have him play the first snap, maybe the per, the first few reps, but then mix in Gabriel Davis far more frequently, basically make their snap counts even, maybe even um, swayed towards Davis. Because he, it's obvious he's fresher. Uh, he gives you a huge advantage against man-to-man -man coverage. And he's your best deep ball threat. He's your best run blocker, everything like that. So there's a lot of logic behind it. But it also allows Emmanuel Sanders to stay fresher. And if he's 
fresher for these routes that, that they really need him and Gabriel Davis or Stefan Diggs needs a blow, they know they can put Sanders in to either of those two spots and be able to perform at a high level and come away with a, a good intermediate target. I think that would be the optimal situation for what the Bills are probably looking to do keep to keep both Sanders and Davis really a big part of the game plan. So yes, I think the people that are desperate for Davis to get in the lineup, my guess is that they'll get their wish. As for the slot receiver position, I'm not as um, convinced that the Bills are going to do anything differently than what they did before Beasley uh, was on the reserve COVID list before the Patriots game. To me, the difference between the two is that they trust Davis more than they trust McKenzie. And that's not to slight McKenzie for for what he's done throughout his career. It's just Davis has a body of work that he he has not faltered in the way that McKenzie has. So it just it's human nature. It leads to more trust with, with the ball in the player's hands. I think McKenzie is a really good player and one that they need to involve more. But I'm just not sure that it's going to be the him taking over the, the slot snaps from Cole Beasley. To the Bills, Beasley is still a massively important part to their team and to their passing offense. Because, and I've been the first to, to sit here and say Beasley has lost a step. And I've been pretty consistent with that over the last, I don't know, two, three months where it, he just hasn't looked like the same guy as he as he was in 2020 and 2019. It just it just seems like against man-to-man coverage, it's just not the same deal as as it used to be. That can still be true and him being a pretty important piece to the offense is is also pretty true here because Beasley, for as much as he's not winning separation in man-to-man coverage, he is an asset against zone coverage. And a lot of times when teams feel overmatched in their secondary or they have some injuries, they'll go to zone coverage to try and overcompensate for that for a, you know, an overall team effort to try and stop an explosive passing attack like the Bills have and limiting what they can do. Now, McKenzie can do some of this, don't get me wrong, because he's he's a good player, but Beasley is expert at finding the soft spots in the zone, finding the windows for, um, for Josh Allen to throw him a target, and making himself available on those on those plays where he continues to move the chains on second and long, third and short, um, even fourth downs, even in the goal line, uh, in the goal-to-go situations, I think he's an asset down there. So despite his weaknesses, which are not being able to win a man-to-man coverage, and he's not a yards-after-catch guy any longer. He didn't really used to be before, but he's definitely not now. Even, even still, I think Beasley is a pretty plays a pretty legitimate role in their offense not only from how they uh, from how they want to do it but I think it's it's just in their in their head that that's he's one of their top three 
So I'm not expecting that to change. Now, I will say McKenzie has done enough to stay incorporated in the offense. So I think a a role from somewhere between 15 to 20 snaps is very much in the question or in the uh, in the offing here for him. So I wouldn't necessarily think that McKenzie's just going to become a non-factor. I think he's just going to drift to the background a bit. And I know some fans won't like hearing that because of the because of the uh, importance that he just played against the Patriots, but the Patriots went with a very man-heavy approach, and that's when he did the majority of his damage. And a lot of the teams that that uh, are around the, around the league play a majority of zone coverage. So from a game planning perspective, if you have a guy like Cole Beasley who is so good against the zone and even though he can't run as well anymore, he's still going to open himself up to move the chains. And we have seen Josh Allen have a a higher penchant for getting the ball out of his hands quickly and finding the quick read and, and you know, just lessening the down and distance uh, as, as they're trying to chip away down the field if, if nothing big is available down the field. And they've, they've done a really good job at that. And I think Beasley plays an important role in that. So it gives the Bills kind of a, a three-pronged attack here because Stefan Diggs can win against both zone and man. We know that for sure. He is locked in. He is their best receiver, and they should continue to get him involved in, in droves. Gabriel Davis is excellent against man-to-man coverage and can take the top off the defense can also win in zone, although I think he's better against man at this point in his career because he can use his physicality, everything like that, win, win on those routes. Emmanuel Sanders probably better at zone, um, but can still win in man underneath. I think I think that's within his skill set right now with, with how quick his feet are. Just not like anything deep. I don't, I don't think that's that's going to be a huge factor in, in his performances down the stretch. But when, when you have Diggs and Davis on the field, for instance, which I think will, if I had to guess, I think that would be their most common boundary receivers moving forward. You have those two guys who excel against man. And then if the, the defense drifts to zone, then you have Beasley who can just kill them underneath with, with um, zone targets. And I would not be shocked because the Falcons are severely overmatched um, in this game from a personnel perspective. It might be without their second-best corner in Fabian Moreau. They're, they, they're not a good pass-rushing team. I would not be surprised at all if we see Cole Beasley peppered with targets against the Falcons because of how they play it. They play a bunch of zone, and they're going to be down a bunch of guys. So we could see Cole Beasley strike back and say, you know, I am a big part of this offense, and I think he is. It's just not in the same way he used to be. So yeah, on the good side, I think Davis will get more time. On the downside, I think people that want McKenzie to be more involved, I think might wind up being a little bit disappointed, if I had to guess. So we'll see how they play it. I mean, there's there's no guarantees with it. Uh, my guess is, like I said, Emmanuel Sanders is not going to play and uh, against the Falcons because he missed a couple of practices and they just want to rest him. And then you have um, Davis, Beasley, McKenzie, and Diggs. And it's not going to be a true 
showing of how they'll split between the five guys, but we'll give we'll get a better idea. So yeah, just just something to keep an eye on with the receiver group. I know it, it's been a big topic this week. The other um, brief things I'll mention, um, I would be pretty surprised if the Bills did anything other than uh, keep their starting offensive line the same this past week. We've seen Sean McDermott have a uh, a pretty strong reaction to when offensive lines play really well. And the time I'm thinking of most commonly is when the um, the Bills had a great offensive line showing against Seattle last year. And the next week, even though Mitch Morse was no longer injured and active and able to play, the Bills kept him on the sidelines all game and stayed with the same five. They ended up changing it after that game, but they stayed with it because they felt that the work that the starting five did against Seattle was good enough to see if if they could have a repeat performance. So because the Bills' offensive line were as good as they were, I would expect it to be from left to right. Dawkins, Bates, Morse, um, Williams, and Spencer Brown at right tackle. And then John Feliciano, even though he's available, I would expect him to be on the bench this time around. He hasn't played since week eight. Cody Ford just came back from the reserve COVID list. Uh, I would not expect him to be in the starting lineup after how well Ryan Bates played. And so that's that's one thing that I would keep an eye on. The other one is kind of a sneaky one that I've been kicking around my brain. I would not be surprised if the Bills made Greg Rousseau a healthy scratch this week. I don't think it's a guarantee that they'll do it, but it's very much within the McDermott playbook to take a young player that's struggling a bit and in a low-pressurized game, giving him a week to watch from the sidelines. Now, I don't think this would be a damning factor on Rousseau as to the job that he's done this year and and his future. I think he's done some nice things, and I think he's shown the flashes of potential that they've wanted to see. But the Bills are also extremely cognizant of the rookie wall. They believe it is a real thing, and when rookies get to a certain point of the season that their production kind of goes down a bit. And it can go down if you're not careful. And we've seen the Bills kind of move Rousseau's snaps down as uh, as the season has worn on here. They're not really trusting him in as many as uh, need-to-have pass-rushing situations. They're mostly going with Hughes, Addison, or F.A. Obata in those situations. And basically, Rousseau's best attributes has been as a run defender at this point. He had a nice pass rush um, near the end of the game when the game was well in hand against the Patriots, but kind of a non-factor the rest of the time. Got washed out a bit as a run defender too, which was disconcerting if if you're um, if you're a member of the Bills organization. So that's why I'm thinking, okay, the Bills are healthy. They've got F.A. Obata, who seems to be peaking right now, and they're giving him more and more responsibility, and he's definitely giving him more as giving them more as a pass rusher than Greg Rousseau is. Basham was also a non-factor this past week, so I think he'll be a healthy scratch. But you've also got A.J. Epinesa coming back from from being off for two weeks. So I think there's an opportunity there for them to get Epinesa some more reps to see where he is right now, um, continue to keep Obata involved, Hughes and Addison as their top two rushers, and then allow Rousseau to watch from the sidelines for a week. 
They have done this so many times with young players. Not usually with first-round picks, but I think Rousseau was such a late first-rounder that it's not as much of a, oh my gosh, they 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 made him a healthy scratch for a week sort of thing because he's still young. He had off all, all last year. Like, uh, this was... Um, I, I don't... I don't think it would necessarily be the deciding factor on whether or not Greg Rousseau is is going to be good or not. Still have a has a full off season. He's very early twenties. There's a, there's a long way to go for Rousseau's career. So even if they made him a healthy scratch, it would be fine because they have the depth to do it. Now, if they had worse depth, then I think that would be more of a story. But because they have such solid depth that are playing relatively well, that um, I think they would feel okay with giving Rousseau a week just to kind of see it. And there's also the psychological aspect of it too. Like if you, if he's been starting all season and then you make him a healthy scratch just to, you know, see how he responds, you know, give him a week off just to refresh himself, everything like that. There's going to be a, a natural element of a young player wanting to prove themselves the, the week that they get back. So I think the Jets game will be a great opportunity for that um, to get him rework him and get him going towards the postseason. So this could be end up being a, a long play as opposed to, oh my gosh, Rousseau is inactive against against the Falcons. It could be it could be a, a, a smart play by them to get him re-energized, refocused and a uh, a higher level of i guess knowing what to do in those situations and uh, higher level of impact potential because they're going to need him in the postseason that that is for sure they they know he is one of the guys that can help take them over the edge as a pass rusher and they're hoping that uh, he can do that in the playoffs so this might just be a a temporary short-term thing just to try and get better long-term results. All right, so those are some of the things I've got my mind on with with some of these younger players um, throughout the roster. Uh, When we come back, we will hear from my buddy, Shiel Kapadia, who uh, will break down this Bills team, what he thinks of them, the rest of the AFC, and uh, I have a very important question for him about the Falcons. So uh, we'll get to Shiel Kapadia when we get back right after this. All right, so we'll get into the uh, the Falcons matchup in just a moment. But before we go any further, wanted to bring on a return guest of the Buffalo Beat who was on earlier this season. I believe the last time he was on, it was before the Texans game. So it's been a minute. Uh, joining me now, uh, once again, is Shiel Kapadia of The Athletic. Does an incredible job covering the entire league. And like we pointed out last time, somehow knowing... A, a ton about every single team and roster in the NFL. Shield, thanks so much for jumping back on the Buffalo Beat. We appreciate you coming on for a second time. Thanks for having me, Joe. You know, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I don't know if it's an honorary member of Bill's Mafia or what, but I, you know, I look at this Bill's team and I'm like, I never gave up on you. I never gave up on you this season. And so it has been a man, you know, of all, of all the teams I try to keep my eye on and all the teams around the league, they've had one of the most interesting entertaining seasons and uh but here we are going into the final two weeks and, and they're they're in pretty good position to be kind of I, I think where a lot of people uh maybe expected them to be before the season 
Yeah, it, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually where I wanted to start because even through it all, through the Jaguars loss even, you were there continuing to write about how you believe that this team would eventually turn it around, that they profile as a good team, everything along those lines. Why were you so bullish on them throughout the entirety of the season, even as they went through their stretch of going three and five and, and you know, just the doldrums of the midseason that they went through? Yeah, hey, there were definitely times where I was a little nervous going, shoot, should I, you know, uh, amend <laughs> some of these takes here? But, um, you know, I, I just looked at it and the profile of what we generally see with the team that can kind of make the Super Bowl is that they blow out a lot of the bad teams or mediocre teams or however you want to term it. They have a lot of blowout wins, which, of course, the Bills do. I mean, every single win they've had has been by more than 10 points, right? So they check mm -hmm. that box uh, to a greater degree than almost any team you would ever see. And then usually in those one-score games, you know, you can call them coin flip games and I love analyzing the little decisions just like you do. But the truth is, most of the time, those one-score games are kind of like coin flips. I mean, we see it every week. It could be, uh, you know, the other team recovers a fumble or your team has a bad play, and uh, but, but they're able to recover that fumble. It could be a bad call. It could be a subjective pass interference that goes in um, the wrong direction. I mean, just thinking of the Bills, that Titans game that we can all think about. I mean, if, if that quarterback sneak works there at the end, they win that game. We're probably having even a different conversation about them. So uh, I just looked at that and said, man, you know, look at their, they're what, 0-5 in one score games. And in the other nine, they're blowing teams out and they've only really had one loss all season where it's been a decisive loss against the Colts. And so that to me just said, it's going to flip for them. It's going to flip for them. And uh, when Josh Allen suffered the injury, I got a little nervous there because then all of a sudden <laughs> right. it's like, shoot, they might not be the team they've been all season. But the way he played last week, uh, I'm kind of right there where, where I have been thinking that this team has a great chance to to make a nice playoff run. Yeah, locally, the 0-5 thing uh, for in games decided by under one score has been a huge talking point. And, you know, for to, to your point, if they could have put together, you know, one touchdown drive in Jacksonville against a two-win <laughs> Jaguars team, that, that could have done things too. But but you're so right because it it always feels like it's, more random than not with a lot of these really tight games. And even if you go back to last year with this Bills team, they were one of the best in the league in these one-score games. And that in itself kind of felt a little unsustainable last year and, and maybe why they might struggle when it got to the uh, when it got to the postseason against against some of these bigger teams. It, they ended up making it to the AFC Championship game and it didn't matter because they got blown out by Kansas City anyway. But But still, that sort of... That sort of uh, philosophy, I guess, with those one-score games, which is why they're so tough to predict from one year to the next. That's the hard thing about football and the NFL is that we're only talking about 17 games. And so sometimes you look at it and you say, shoot, this can't, you know, like I was looking at the Chiefs after, you know, I think it was week seven and you're looking at it and I'm going, well, you know, the issues aren't that like they're turning the ball over at sort of a historic rate here. You know, how likely is that to continue the rest of the season? But you don't know because it's only 17 games. So yeah, it could continue for like 14 games and that's not that crazy. It's not like mm -hmm. baseball where you get a 162 and you say, all right, it's going to eventually um, regress to kind of where you would expect it to be. And so 
When I have questions about it, you know, I usually just look at it and say, let's look at the coach and the quarterback. Is the quarterback, do I believe in the quarterback and is the quarterback healthy? And then do I believe in the coach? And um, for the Bills, you know, uh, the answer is yes to both those things. And so I, I think the game that Josh Allen played last week, like if I were a Bills fan, I'd just be like, all right, let's go. He, he's ready to put this team on his back for a deep playoff run. And so that's kind of what you can usually come back to is if you believe in the quarterback and he's healthy, uh, then a lot of times some of those things that aren't going your way eventually get flipped and turn around and, and they start to go your way. Yeah, I assume that you you saw the uh, the Bills Patriots game from this past weekend. But when when you look at maybe took a look at some of the the numbers behind Allen's day, what to you made that stand out as much as it did? Just beyond the uh, the jaw dropping throws that that he threw like across his body and stuff like that. Like what what stood out to you? Yeah, to me, that was like the A-plus version of Josh Allen. And we all know what his talent is. And I'm sure, you know, listeners, fans can point to games and say, you know, he didn't have it that day or, uh, you know, he took this sack or he made this mistake. But like few quarterbacks have that actual ceiling. And what I mean by that is, you know, what stood out to me in that game is he's making plays from the pocket. You know, he's get when they're saying, "Hey, we're going to play too deep. Go ahead and move the ball methodically down the field." He was doing that. He was making plays outside of the pocket when the play call wasn't there and it was, "Hey, go escape and make a play." We saw him make those plays as well. And then the third aspect of it was him as a runner. And to me, it's not just like the talent as a runner, it's the competitiveness. It's the I am not going to be denied and usually I hate those types of clichés, but man, just that fourth and one play that we can all look back to that's just a guy saying like I am getting this I am making a play I don't care what it takes splitting two defenders like that type of creativity that he has also and so for some of these quarterbacks and you know I covered the Seahawks for two years with Russell Wilson and now it's like so many quarterbacks in the NFL they have that ability to make those second reaction plays you want them to use that creativity at the same time you don't want to ask them to lean on it snap after snap after snap because it might not be sustainable and so that's what really stood out to me it was kind of that perfect balance between hey run the offense take the plays that are there you don't have to be superman on every play but then again there are probably going to be like five plays where you do have to be superman and go ahead and do that also by the way without making um the game changing mistake uh and so to me he just kind of put all that together and and reached that level that we've seen him do it's hard to sustain week after week but uh it, like i said it's kind of just that a plus version of josh allen in that game yeah, I think everybody can see it. He's on an absolute heater right now. Um, so last time we we chatted, we kind of took a run around the AFC, and it, it was still a very early look at who was good, who wasn't. I know the Chargers really uh, pushed forward at that part of the season. They've kind of come back down to earth right now. So as you've kind of tracked these teams throughout the year and seen the ebbs and flows and seen what, what they are right now, um, heading into the playoffs, I mean, still two weeks to go, so still some things that can change, but heading into the playoffs, I know you've been pretty bullish on the Bills being legitimate Super Bowl contenders this year. So if there was one team that is standing in their way, who is it from not only a, a numbers perspective, but from, you know, just from an overall feel of where it's going perspective and why? 
Yeah, I, I would say it's not going to surprise anybody probably, but I mean, I would go with the Chiefs. I mean, those are yeah. the two teams I thought were going to be there uh, in the end in the AFC, and, and they might not be. You know, it depends how the seeding and everything plays out. But to me, they're kind of right there, and it, it's not that different of a story than what we just talked about with the Bills. I mean, the Chiefs had legitimate issues there in the middle of the season. You know, there, there was a stretch there where uh, I did this exercise where I just kind of looked at every Chiefs game over the last three regular seasons and using just this metric, um, you know, expected points added, EPA. It's just basically an efficiency metric. And their five worst offensive games of the last three years all happened this year. And so it wasn't a fluke that people were overreacting to, hey, the Chiefs offense doesn't look the same. The Chiefs offense did not look the same. And it was partially turnovers, which I mentioned. It was um, these kind of high leverage plays, these key drops that they had. But at the same time, it's exactly what I just mentioned that applies to the Bills, uh, applies to the Chiefs. And that's that they have the quarterback who is a top level player who is healthy and they have a coach that I believe in. And so you look at those two things, I think last week against the Steelers, that offensive performance was probably as much as the Chiefs have looked like the Chiefs all season long. And then their defense has stepped it up in a big way from the first six or seven games to the point where you look at this and say, this might be the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has had in Kansas City. So uh, they've been a little bit inconsistent. You know, it would not shock me if somebody knocked them off in the AFC. At the same time, if we're talking about ceilings, they absolutely have the ceiling to not only get to the Super Bowl, but to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, the scariest part about that last week showing is that they did it with Tyreek Hill taking 42% of snaps and Travis Kelsey not in the lineup. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, they didn't have Kelsey. And so I was wondering, all right, what's this uh, going to look like? Because they do lean on those two guys so heavily. I mean, their complementary pieces are not great, but man, it did not matter in that game. Their offensive line is really playing well. You know, that was their big thing in the offseason. They said, let's rebuild this offensive line. If we have Mahomes and a great offensive line, we'll figure everything else out. And uh, again, at times it's looked like, well, you know, not, not really your offense doesn't look the same, but um, in that game and kind of going forward, it looks like, uh, you, you know, they certainly could be in great shape there. So uh, the Chiefs and the Bills are are the two obvious. Um, the, the rest of the AFC kind of feels slightly clumped together. I mean, you've got the Titans, the Bengals, the Ravens, the... Um, the, the Colts, the Chargers, the Dolphins are sneaking in there, the Patriots. So out of that whole clump, I don't even know how many teams I just had six or seven. The AFC is crazy this year out of that whole clump of teams, which of, which of those, uh, teams profiles really pop out to you, uh, in not only how they, how they have, um, come to where they are this season, but how they project moving forward with, with some of their numbers. Yeah, it's really interesting when you get to the rest of the AFC because a team like the Titans, I don't think anyone would think that the Titans are a great team, but they could be getting healthy at the perfect time and they could have the number two seed in the AFC. So now all of a sudden, if Derrick Henry comes back for the playoffs, we saw what A.J. Brown can do last week when he's healthy. So like, you know, the metrics and everything you look at with the Titans, those aren't going to tell the story because it's going to be a totally different team in the playoffs. So they're interesting to me. Uh, the Bengals with Joe, you know, Joe Burrow can, and just put a offense on his back. We saw that they're so explosive. So that to me would be a tough matchup. If I'm an AFC team and say, shoot, I got to face that guy uh, in the first round of the playoffs, that's tough. 
The Colts are kind of like the opposite of that. You know, I don't really trust the quarterback and the passing game, but they're so well coached. Their defense is feisty. And, uh, you know, we saw what they did against Buffalo in that game there. And they've got a bunch of high-level wins. I mean, they've beaten the Bills, the Patriots, the 49ers, the Cardinals. So uh, I don't think they're going to be uh, an easy out there. So those are the teams that kind of stand out to me. The Ravens are just too banged up the way Mm -hmm. I see it. Uh, The Chargers are very up and down. I mean, I would not be thrilled about having to face Justin Herbert in the first round of the playoffs, but at the same time, they are a pretty flawed team. And so, um, you know, they're they're a team that if you kind of have more talent, you should be able um, to get after. And I guess the, oh, I, I didn't mention the Patriots, I guess, you know, the Patriots, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the metrics that apply to the Bills, those apply to the Patriots as well. You know, their point differential uh, is very high. I know they've lost two in a row here, but that defense, you know, in a one game situation, they can come up with a game plan that can really slow you down uh, offensively. And, uh, you know, I don't think Mac Jones has been a mess here. uh, The last two games, he hasn't played great, but I've been saying all season, my question with the Patriots is, do they have a great supporting cast offensively Mm -hmm. when they get in a game where they have to pass the ball? I I mean, you saw that last week, like those guys are not, you know, very threatening. Uh, Kendrick Bourne is a nice player. Um, Nelson Aguilar is okay, but it's nobody like a step on Diggs or a Tyreek Hill or a Jamar Chase. I mean, some of these other teams we talk about. So um, like all those teams, I think are competitive teams and are good teams and can pull off uh, an upset. If you're asking me kind of who's most likely to, to go on a run, I would probably say um, the Patriots would be the team that I would say, uh, you know, maybe uh, based on what we've seen for most of the season, um, they might be able to go on a run, even though they've lost two in a row. Very interesting. Yeah. It's this, um, this sneaky little feeling I think a lot of Bills fans probably have that the, they haven't seen the last of the Patriots just yet. Yeah. So we might be setting up for a, a grudge match at the end. Um, Shield, last thing I've got for you, and it's something that I, I said I was going to ask you because it's it's just hilarious to me. The Falcons, to me, are so interesting because they're basically the way that we've lined it up. Um, they're basically the reverse Bills, right? Like every single one of their wins have been super close. And every single one of their losses have been blowouts. And then all of the teams that they've beaten basically have have been in tatters when, when they face them. So it, the Falcons are somehow miraculously 7-8. and eight. Are they in the running for one of the worst 7-8 and eight teams in NFL history? They have to be. I mean, th- this might be a good <laughs> exercise for me to do uh, after the season. But yeah, I mean, a minus 122 point differential, you know, to put that into perspective, teams that have a worse one, the Jets the Texans, the Jaguars, and the Lions. And that's it. Uh, So, you know, even some of the other advanced stuff, like if you look at Football Outsiders, uh, DVOA, they had the Falcons as the worst team in the entire NFL. Worse than all those teams I just mentioned. And so it's exactly what you mentioned. You know, either they are winning these games by like a field goal or four, five, six points, where they're losing by like 30 points. I mean, I'm just looking at their schedule right now. I mean, an 18-point loss, 13-point loss, 25, 40. I mean, you can just go um, on and on. So, yeah, I mean, that way of winning games is really 
not sustainable. I think that's why the advanced stuff kind of looks pretty uh, poorly with them. Uh, I am interested to see what their passing game looks like against the Bills because that is, you know, one of my questions with the Bills with obviously Tredavious White out. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to get more kind of a bigger sample, more data. And we might not because they're finishing the season with the Falcons and the Jets. But like, what is that defense going to look like? How good can it be um, against kind of a potent passing attack? And so Matt Ryan has had little pockets this year where you say, all right, he, you know, he doesn't look uh, look too bad there and he can make some things happen. But uh, their offensive line is really bad. And so, you know, I would expect um, them to have a tough time on Sunday. But at the same time, if they get a little frisky and you're looking up saying, <laughs> shoot, how, you know, how is Matt Ryan making these plays? He's getting crushed, but he's still finding ways to make these plays downfield. He is still a veteran quarterback. I guess that wouldn't kind of completely shock me. Yeah, my my co-host of the uh, the post-game shows that we do here on the Buffalo Beat was like, I had no idea that it would be a 14 and a half point spread. And then I explained to him who, who they beat <laughs> and, yeah. and the rest of their losses. And he's like, Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense now. <laughs> yeah. And it's also with the bills. I mean, you look at it, it's like, well, if right. you think the bills are going to win, I mean, every game they won, they won by double digits. So it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, they, they, they don't take their foot off the gas usually when they have a lead in the second half. So, you know, I, I do the picks for the athletic every week and that's always in the back of my mind. I usually just take, the bills when they're big favorites because i'm like you know what they're probably still going to be uh passing the ball uh, a little bit down the stretch and uh, i don't know exactly what their record is against the spread but it feels like that works out more often than not with them yeah for sure shield this has been awesome thank you so much for taking the time out once again um if if you haven't yet be sure to read everything that shield does for us over at the athletic does an incredible job co- covering the entire league and uh you you'll definitely learn a few things and go huh a a lot a lot of times reading his stuff so shield thank you so much man i appreciate it thanks for having me joe keep up the uh the good work i will be reading and uh you know who knows maybe maybe we'll be talking again before the afc championship or something not not to jinx it but um you know i i think the bills have a lot of football still to be played we shall see that's shield kapadia of the athletic and we'll be right back after this All right, so a lot of great stuff from Shield there. Be sure to check out all his stuff over at The Athletic. Um, he has, like we said, long been bullish on the Bills' chances this year, even through the Jaguars game, which I think a lot of that was the, the hope-testing moment for a lot of fans out there after losing 9-6 to on the road to a team that has only won twice this year. Um, so, uh, yeah, Shield has been pretty... Pretty stand. Uh, he's been pretty um, well convinced that this Bills team is is a good team, and they're starting to prove it right now. Which leads us to the game against the Falcons, which are uh, yeah. I, I think the way that I termed it with Shield is is an appropriate one. This is a this is a Falcons team that I have no idea how they're seven and eight. Quite honestly, you know they've got a couple of headline players like Matt Ryan, even though he's not the same Matt Ryan. Kyle Pitts, who's very much living up to the billing. He's he's awesome to watch on film, but he's only one guy because the Falcons really don't have anybody else. And then Cordero, Cordero Patterson, I should say, um, who has really taken over that backfield, even though he's still kind of splitting reps with Mike Davis. It's, it's a weird Falcons team. They have one of the, uh, one of the worst... Um, 
one of the worst net point differentials in the entire NFL. Like it's it's horrible. They are let's see, let me find it exactly. At negative one twenty two, their strength of victory is the worst in the league at uh, a winning percentage of three ten, and that's basically buoyed by the fact that uh, the Dolphins have won as many games as they have in a row, and that's one of the Falcons' wins. All all of their victories have been one-score games. They're 7-2 and two in one-score games. And then they've been blown out by, on average, 24.2 points in every other game that they've played. So, it's a, it's a weird team. Like, their offensive line is not good. Their defensive line does not get pressure on the quarterback. And they, they win a lot of random games against bad teams. So I think this game is going to be a lot of what we've seen from the Bills this year. You know, I think their their big focus on on this one, you know, Kyle Pitts is the headliner because he was a high draft pick, highest ever drafted tight end, super athlete. Like I said, really fun to watch. But the Bills have been great against tight ends all year, and I'm kind of expecting that to continue as uh as this game goes on even though He's one of the best athletes that they'll see at that position this season. I think the big emphasis will be trying to limit Cordero Patterson. And they have found good ways to use him, even though their offensive line is not a good run-blocking unit going downhill. The Falcons' offensive line is kind of similar to the Bills in that respect, although they're not as good of pass blockers as the Bills, which, and and it's kind of depressing because the Falcons have spent so many draft resources on the offensive line in itself, and you know they just they don't have much to write home about from that uh, from those positions, even though they have sunk you know first, second, third round picks into it, like Jake Matthews, Jalen Mayfield, uh, Matt Hennessy, Chris Lindstrom. Uh, Caleb McGarry, all of these, all of these different players that have been relatively high picks, just hasn't really panned out the way that they wanted it to, and they're in front of a, a quarterback that can't really move in the backfield. He's not really pushing it down the field as much as he used to anymore, and that's why we're seeing to a lot of lopsided victor- or lopsided losses for the Falcons this year. So they've kind of fired up their offense with. Cordero Patterson by using these wide rushes and for teams that have you know not not as quick linebackers they have struggled to kind of keep up with with Patterson and for good reason like basically what the what the Falcons do is they either pitch it or or have this um this wide rush attempt and it turns into a de facto punt return where Patterson can just read the blocks in front of him and just kind of react instinctively. He's 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 really good at at um, figuring out things on the fly and and gaining additional yards where maybe they're really not supposed to be. And he's a big body that can get through tight spaces. Like he's he's a good player if if you allow him to get loose a little bit. But against uh, the one game that I really thought was interesting from limiting Patterson was back when I watched the Falcons-Panthers game from a few weeks ago. The Panthers, even though they're horrible on offense, their defense, pretty good. They're top eight 
in defensive expected points added. Um, they're a top tier team in total and from from a defensive perspective. And the way that they were able to defend Patterson because of how they're built makes me think that the Bills should be able to do a pretty good job on them. The Panthers have really quick linebackers, and that helps them get sideline to sideline a lot quicker. And I think that is one commonality with this Bills team because Edmonds, even though he has some faults, um, is really quick at getting sideline to sideline. I think this is going to be a big Matt Milano game, if if I had to guess, from a defensive perspective, because I think he will be in charge of sniffing out all these different Patterson runs and then sticking with him and, you know, knifing through blocks to to get to get him and to keep forcing him wide, which is how you thwart that rushing attack. So I think Milano is going to be huge in this one. Same thing with Edmonds, but more so Milano because I think he has the ability and he'll be positioned more often to um, to finish these plays as opposed to Edmonds, who might just be a guy who, it, I mean, he'll he'll make some plays, but I think part of his responsibility will be to, you know, continue getting sideline to sideline and continue forcing Patterson out wide and just kind of, you know, shooing him out to the boundary. And that would that is just as effective as going through and making a tackle. So that's why I think the Bills should be in good shape against Patterson, but they need to be careful because uh, he's he's the one guy that I think can really uh, turn them upside down in this one. On offense, I think the Bills have a humongous advantage here. Now, I will say, Jarrett, their defensive lineman, is a good run defender. A.J. Terrell, I think, is ridiculously underrated as to how good of a, a cover corner he is, and I think... He's going to be, on a better team, he would be a household name. And then Deion Jones has been kind of up and down this year, but his speed just flies off when when you're watching. And I think he could be a bit of trouble if you're trying to run the pin and pull stuff with Devin Singletary. Uh, it, it, you might not find a lot of success doing it that way because Deion Jones is so quick and so responsive against the running game. But as a passing defense, outside of A.J. Terrell, Terrell, I don't know that the Falcons have all that much that can stop what the Bills have been doing the the past few weeks. You have the, uh, the Bills passing offense playing as well as they have been. The offensive line giving Allen the most time of the entire season, on average, to throw last week against the Patriots. He averaged 3.1 seconds. And then you have all of the personnel advantages as well because the Falcons have the one corner, but their other top corner, Fabian Moreau, might be out. He's He's been, you know, nursing a ribs injury. Their safeties, you know, not that great. Their linebackers in coverage, you, you can beat them. Uh... I would expect a, a heavy amount of zone from the Falcons to try and overcompensate. 
And that's where I think you'll see the likes of Cole Beasley, Stefan Diggs, Dawson Knox. I think I think they're all in line to have a, a pretty solid day in this one because I don't know that the Falcons are going to want to mess with too much man-to-man coverage uh, with how shorthanded they might be in the secondary. So I'm anticipating this is a game where the Bills will jump out to a fast start. The line on it is 14 and a half. 14 and a half. I think the last I saw was uh, on BetMGM, the over-under was 44.5. I am expecting the Bills to cover that 14.5, quite honestly. I don't think the Falcons are a good team. Uh, I said it with Shield. I, I think the Falcons are the reverse Bills because of how they've been blown out on basically all of their losses, and then they have barely eked out victories for all of their wins. The Bills have done the complete opposite, and... From an expected points added uh, perspective, the Bills are near the top of everything, and the Falcons are near the bottom of everything. This is this looks like a giant mismatch. The Falcons are a little bit banged up. They've got guys on the reserve COVID list. They just barely beat a Tim Boyle-led Lions team. I think this has all the makings of the Bills jumping out to a fast start and kind of coasting to the finish, and... You know, maybe they they jump out to a three score lead. The the Falcons grab a, a touchdown in the second half, get a two point conversion. That's kind of what's in my brain. That's why I'm picking the score that I am. But I think the Bills will walk out of this one with a with a pretty succinct victory with their passing offense being able to play as as well as they have been, which would give them all of the advantage heading into the final week of the season, where all they would need to do is get a win and they win the AFC East. That simple, but they do have to get through this one. I, but I think the way that the matchup shakes up, I think this should be a a pretty um, a, a pretty easy matchup, but one that they they definitely cannot overlook. But I don't think they're at that point in the season. I think they're they're pretty good at not overlooking opponents, especially when they've played the likes of the Texans and you know Jaguars game notwithstanding, they were they just laid an egg. In that one, it's not not as though the Jaguars beat them on offense. The offense just never woke up. So I think the the Bills' offense shouldn't have a problem here. I think they should they should move the ball pretty consistently early on, and then and then score a bunch of points. So I'll take the Bills in this one, thirty four to eleven. I have the Bills covering. Uh, I have the over barely hitting because of that two point conversion from the Falcons. Wouldn't that be a bad beat? Um, and yeah, and the Bills getting to their 10th victory of the season and only one game away from clinching the AFC East. So we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how that wide receiver rotation plays out. You can check out my full thoughts. I, I discussed the wide receiver room. I discussed Greg Rousseau in there. I, I discussed Ryan Bates a bit. Um, and then certainly some other th- things along with it. And I've got some project, my projected inactives over at the Game Day Thoughts column. You can find that all right now at theathletic.com. And if you go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat, you can get a discount on your yearly subscription. Again, that's theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this edition of the Buffalo Beat. You will next hear from me and Matt Beauvais after the game. And we'll see if the Bills can collect on a game that they should win against a Falcons team that... Uh, it seemed to be going in the opposite direction. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. My name is Joe Piscali. We'll talk to you on Sunday. See you then.